Welcome to episode 2 of Yubcast, a Star Wars cartoon podcast. I'm a mindless philosopher, Matt, and my co-host... I'm Jamie, and I'm a slimy piece of worm-ridden filth. Nice. I almost used that one. (laughs) So we discuss a recent topic in Star Wars and go back in time and discuss a cartoon from Lucasfilm. Uh, And today we will be discussing... White Witch, which is the first episode of Droids. Um, but before that... Yes, we're going to do some uh, recent topics. We're going to talk about maybe uh, the Dr. Afra comic, some what-if scenarios that we've been throwing around back and forth, the newest books, Phasma. You know. So I got the first volume of Dr. Afra read, and I have to say I enjoyed it. I, I think I enjoyed her a little bit more in the Darth Vader comics, but I still enjoyed this one um uh, a lot just the story of her and like her dad going to the like the some ancient jedi uh fortress where there was um, some sort of civil war between jedi fundamentalists i guess would best way to describe them and kind of trying to figure out what happened yeah i i really enjoy dr Apper as a concept i thoroughly enjoyed the volume one of the trade paperback and i believe the trade paperback volume one is the first six issues of her standalone comic series yeah it's i I like it because it's very much what if indiana jones was a woman in the star wars universe and also an asshole there is a very heavy-handed reference to indiana jones with the very beginning where one guy he gets some sort of um, object and then she immediately steals it from him (laughs) just like belloc stole the idol from indiana jones the very beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Dr. Jones, again, we see there is nothing you can possess which I cannot take away. Excellent. I like your description of Dr. Affer being Indiana Jones as a woman who's an asshole. Um, my original interpretation of her was that she was a female Han Solo who made a different choice at the end of A New Hope. She's Han Solo who didn't go back to the Death Star to save Luke, because I think she's supposed to be modeled on that character, but maybe you're more more accurate that she's just Harrison Ford, but as a female asshole. I agree with you to an extent. Maybe she was kind of the Han-type character who decided not to do something redeeming. Just from reading the comments, she seems like she's been a, pretty much a jerk for a very long time, ever since she was a graduate student. Right. So I don't think she's a, she's a very good person, but she's very she's interesting, so, and that's what makes the comic fun. That and the two droids, Triple Zero and BT. They even designed her, at least originally, to dress like Han Solo. Like, she has the same costume except in female clothing that he does, so. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. You're, com- you're completely correct on that, and they're even now throwing black curves. The Black Curse Stan, I guess, the Wookiee Bounty Hunter mm-hmm. as kind of a sidekick of hers. Yeah, and so when they built her team, she ended up with a Wookiee sidekick and two droids, which I know Han Solo didn't have the droids, but it's obviously the evil R2-D2 and C-3PO, and they're they're highly entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, it was obvious in the Vader comics that she was becoming a standout star. I read those in real time, and it was very clear to me that she was the fan favorite. And then Hasbro had the action figure poll last year where fans could vote for an action figure and Hasbro would supposedly make that figure. 
and Dr. Afro won hands down. Right. Yeah. Well, some people will disagree. Some people really wanted Ben Skywalker, I think. I like the idea that uh, they did listen to the fans and they wanted, you know, fans wanted Dr. Afra. It makes it makes sense. They haven't produced a single action figure from the comics. And if she's the standout comic book anti-hero that people are gravitating toward, I think like they should they should make it. They should support that media, like do some more cross promotion for it. The other thing that I really liked about her comic and her story is something that I've constantly criticized and found frustrating in the Star Wars universe from a philosophical point of view is their complete disrespect of their own history. They just destroy their own stuff all the time from a philosophical point of view. In universe, it makes sense that they wouldn't have attachment to the past and they wouldn't care necessarily what happened. But one of the appealing aspects of the Star Wars universe is the lived-in aspect of it and how old and ancient everything feels and how they're basically living in the dark ages when we see them in the original trilogy they don't know what's going on currently they don't know the past they don't even understand like hyperdrives they just use them right right han calls the force of ancient religion right and, yeah and so that they are completely disconnected with their heritage and their past and the interesting thing about the Afro comic, the standalone comic, is that these two characters, Afra's father and Dr. Afra, are actually pursuing that history. And you sort of get a glimpse at how strange and surprising that history is. With when they go to the temple with all the ancient Jedi skeletons and the lightsabers littered on the ground and the weird old robots and, and the fact that they went to the temple, the Masasi temple on Yavin to find the map. Mm -hmm. I mean, like to me, that's big, big time universe building. It's connecting a lot of dots for me. Walking through something that I've been curious about, and it's one of the things why I was I gravitated to things like the Old Republic. I was like, okay, here's a completely different time period that, as far as we know, Luke has no clue about, right? Right. And, and it's really the foundation of his beliefs in religion are found back in in thousand or thirty thousand years ago. If you want to go all the way back to the Dark Horse comics, The Dawn of the Jedi, right? Which I know aren't canon, blah, blah, blah. But Dark Horse really went for it. And then it's like, well, let's tell the story of the origin of the Jedi. And for a thousand generations, the Jedi protected the galaxy. A thousand generations is 30,000 years. Human, mm -hmm. human generations. And so let's go, go back in time 30,000 years and tell that story about how the Jedi appeared. And I don't necessarily think that the new canon has to do that. But Afra is the first thing that's even attempted to do that, to do something similar. Like, 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 let's tell a story from thousands of years ago. Right. I like them kind of touching on it, but not telling everything about it. Because when you tell everything about it, then A, you're kind of stuck with that story. And, and B, uh, it loses some of its magic. For me, it's a lot more fun to kind of fill in the gaps myself. I 100% I agree. I think it's difficult to tell a story. It's the Alfred Hitchcock problem, right? Don't show the monster. Right? Let people imagine it. Their imaginations will do a better job than you could do. Star Wars is actually pretty good about that because whenever they try to explain something, they do such a piss-poor job. They leave you yeah. with more questions than answers, right? Yeah, trying to explain away how the Force actually works through some magical, mystical uh, parasite that lives in your body. I've told you George Lucas trying to walk that back conversation no. he had with someone on Revenge of the Sith, right? No, I don't think so. So there was a story I heard secondhand that someone told someone who worked on 
Revenge of the Sith. They worked on Revenge of the Sith, and they were relaying this story. And he claims that while he was doing animation, like computer animation on Grievous, he asked George Lucas why they didn't just test Luke's midichlorians in the original trilogy. And he said, well, maybe they were wrong. Meaning maybe the Jedi were wrong about the midichlorians. Mm-hmm. And I sort of, I sort of like that answer from him, as annoying and aggravating as that is, because I think, I think our assumption from the audience is that they were the experts, and once again they were figuring it out themselves, and that right. they, they had their own dogma and their own beliefs that weren't necessarily grounded in reality. Well, even the Sith believed in the midichlorians because Palpatine talks to Anakin about Darth Plagueis and uh, manipulating the midichlorians. But it'd be something that would be so easy to retcon them just saying, oh, remember when we used to think the midichlorians, you know, had something to do with the Force? You know, ha ha ha. Just like we look at Flat Earthers now or other like barbaric medical practices that were just like, what were we thinking? Well, we can get we can get into this in three or four years when we finally get there. But the TV series Clone Wars actually undoes a lot of the midichlorian stuff at the end. It really diffuses it down to only an aspect of it, like mm-hmm. the, implying that the Jedi had placed way too much weight on the existence of these things, and it turns out that they aren't that important. And this is this comes up because of the existence of Force ghosts, which the Jedi thought were not real, but turned out to be very real. So yeah, it's uh, right, it's partially retconning, but it's also not. All right, so I guess moving on, what did you think about Phasma? The novel Phasma. Mm-hmm. So we, we briefly talked about this a few weeks ago when we both finished it. Should we say spoiler alert? Sure. Spoiler sure. alert. Let's go ahead and spoil the novel, Phasma. Um, I was excited that they decided to do a, a novel for Phasma, mostly because at this point in time in the Star Wars continuity, we don't know very much about what happened in between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. And the lead-up to The Force Awakens, which for us was almost two years ago now, Captain Phasma was one of those characters that was talked about a lot before the movie came out and wasn't in the movie for all intents and purposes. Felt kind of like uh, like how you know Jimmy Smith's you know was Bail Organa and then barely did anything in Episode Three. Just had a few lines. It's like, well, he doesn't look as cool as Phasma. You know, he's a very pivotal character, and he just didn't do anything. Right. I was happy that they decided to do a book about Phasma because I thought we would finally learn something about the character. And I think they did a good job of filling in her backstory, even if the mechanism by which they did it was strange and um, pushed reality a lot. So a resistance spy is captured by the First Order by a First Order commander named Cardinal, and he interrogates her in the bowels of a Dar Destroyer to get information about Captain Phasma so he can basically blackmail her or get her to leave the First Order. Um, So there's a little bit of internal First Order politics happening. And then this Resistance spy had been traveling about gathering information on Phasma and visited her home world. And we should let it be known that uh, Cardinal is basically the equivalent of Phasma. He trains the younger Stormtrooper recruits while she trains the them as adults. Right. He's middle school, she's high school. Right, and he's got uh, red armor. So the book is basically 
a secondhand retelling of a period of time in Phasma's life before she joins the First Order, where she rescues Hux. Brendel. The older one. She saves the older one. And so the the story mechanism is that it's told as an interrogation. The reason why that strains reality is that the resolution at which she tells the story is incredibly high. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has a lot of personal details and editorializing that makes her seem like almost a omniscient uh, narrator for many of the characters. Right. She did say at one point that she embellished some of it. Correct. Uh, to the to the reader and say, yeah, and some of it just seems a little far fetched. He's really not going to sit through all of this. You know, he wants dirt on Phasma, and he doesn't want to hear about random stuff that doesn't make you know it's not important yeah so it's revealed in the interrogation that she basically backstabs everybody to get off this desolated planet some kind of nuclear accident 100 years ago made this planet nearly unlivable and it's a bunch of disconnected tiny tribes eking by in existence while the planet slowly self-destructs around them she betrays everybody to get off the planet with hux and then eventually betrays hux by murdering him so the younger Hux can take his place and become leader of the First Order. I thoroughly enjoyed it as a piece of story. I will be pretty pissed off if all the character development they did in this book isn't paid off in one of the movies, though. I, I totally agree. I'm hoping that this book is a is a reason to look forward to, you know, like more, at least a good Phasma-centric storyline in Episode 8 or 9. Same with the reason why Leia is coming out, because I'm expecting like episode eight to be Leia heavy. Yeah. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, what the book Phasma did for us as Star Wars fans who are examining the continuity is it, it taught us that Phasma is a sociopath who will do anything to protect herself and that she is not a First Order true believer she is an opportunist who is using the First Order to basically make her life better. And if she's backed into a corner, she would kill everybody in the First Order to save herself. Right. So I'm, I'm really hoping that that's something that we will see. Because, and I don't know if put this kind of that aspect into the book because of what happened in Episode 8, or excuse me, Episode 7, where she just kind of, she doesn't really fight Han or Chewie or Finn, you know, on like putting the shields down. She's just like, mm, all right. <laughs> she doesn't really give up much of a fight. So yeah, she just didn't want to get her arms ripped off. I gave, I gave her character in episode seven, a lot of leeway for that sort of thing because they gave her nothing to do. Mm-hmm. And so she was a device to get the shields down at that point. She wasn't a character that we knew before that moment. She had given a briefing about the traitor FN2187, and she had told him to put his helmet back on. Right. right. I don't think she has another line in that movie. I mean, she might have one more line in that movie, but how little they gave her to do was one of the big fan shocks of that series, of that first movie in the trilogy. People were really expecting her to be a big character, and... They give her nothing to do. And so mm-hmm. this book makes me a little bit, it, it reinvigorates me about this character a little bit. I want her, I want this character development that that Delilah Dawson gave her in this book 
Uh, do you watch Game of Thrones at all? I do not. It's on the list, but if you want to, if you want to talk about it, you can. We can totally talk about it. It's um, no spoilers for Game of Thrones, but uh, Gwendolyn Christie, who plays Phasma, plays um, a character named uh, Brienne of Tarth in Game of Thrones, and she's basically a warrior. Her father gave up on her ever marrying or being a lady, as you know, ladies are thought of in that universe. And so he taught her how to fight, and so she's a very, very tough fighter. So she's got the uh, she's got the uh, chops to do um, good fight scenes. So I'm I'm really hoping they use um, Gwendolyn and uh, her uh, abilities in the uh, next movie or two. Yeah, I hope I hope so too. I we're missing a lot of hand to hand combat. We had that nice scene in Takadana where there was some hand to hand combat, and obviously she wasn't going to be in that fight based on the plot of the movie. But mm-hmm. it would be fun to see some some more fighting. But we're talking a lot about episode eight, so should we reveal that the trailer is about to come out? Yes, there is a trailer coming out very soon. He said that there was a um, was it Mark Hamill dropped a dropped a hint on uh, on Twitter. Yeah, I'm on the I'm on the Twitter, but barely. He said to a fan who asked when the trailer was coming out. He said that you should watch Monday Night Football on the eighth of October. Um, he said for no particular reason, <laughs> or was it the 9th of October, whatever that Monday is, he said for no particular reason. And then he deleted the tweet like an hour later, but it was too late. Everyone had taken a yeah. picture of it. Yeah. After uh, Disney's legal team contacted him. Yeah. I doubt he does anything too ornery. He doesn't strike me as the type that those sort of leaks are pretty orchestrated usually. Mm-hmm. But that means we're, we get this trailer about the exact same time that we got the long trailer for The Force Awakens, which was also during Monday Night Football in late September. Yes, I don't have the correct cable package to watch it, though it's not like I would be watching it anyway, because I rarely, rarely watch football. I never watch football. Yeah, it's it's usually if I go to somebody's house and it's on, I'll watch it, or if it's, uh, if it's our alma mater, I'll watch it. I don't go out of my way. No, it'll be on YouTube 10 minutes yeah. later. Mm-hmm. All right, so I guess the next thing before we get into droids is a uh, what-if scenario. Through uh, the years, we've been messaging back and forth, more than likely annoying our wives about Star Wars. We get into a lot of theoretical stuff. And while thinking about the episode for uh, droids, I started to think about C-3PO in general and just how horrible of a design he is. And he's pretty much not good for anything except just standing there. His arms don't move very well. His legs don't move very well. And the fact that he's painted gold. Something that always bugged me in Return of the Jedi, they all had camouflage kind of uh, overcoats. Why didn't they bother painting 3PO or R2-D2? They paint Chopper all the time in Rebels. Right. It, it just it just seems strange. Like we're gonna have stealth, except for this big gold thing that will just everybody will see. Yeah, that definitely bothered me as a kid too. That C three PO was walking around in the forest, bright gold, and it didn't seem to bother anybody. And people were the soldiers on Endor were ducking into the ferns and blending in really well, and he was just standing there. Yeah, I mean. I've gone through army basic training. That was the most probably combat training that I've I have or will ever have. And 
they didn't teach us much, but uh, you know, it was it was enough to know not to walk around in a gold suit. No, the the goal is to you would put on a full gown and you would blind the enemy with uh, <laughs> the sequins, right? No, that kilt was only for day to day wear. In battle, we'd done the full length ball gown covered in sequins. The idea was to blind your opponent with luxury. What if they had painted him? Well, what would would have happened? Would they have still gotten captured by the Ewoks? Then the you know then the Ewoks would have been like, oh, who cares? You know he's not gold. He's not a god. And so either then the uh, the Ewoks eat all the heroes, and that's the end of it. Or the only person that could save them was Luke. Right. So, so they would still be captured for sure, right? Because mm-hmm. they were captured. Well, Leia just freely goes with them for whatever reason, which always bothered me as well as a kid. But um, they're captured because Chewbacca trips the trap. Always thinking with your stomach. Right. Mm -hmm. So they all end up in the net. R2-D2 cuts them down. And then when they fall to the ground, the Ewoks surround them. And they're captured at that point. And then when they see C-3PO, they all start worshipping him. And so if he was painted camo at that point and didn't represent their god... And presumably, they just would have taken them all back to the village, right? Right. Now that now actually, would there? I guess there wouldn't have been a feast then, because they were not uh, going to be celebrating, you know, in the their gods, uh, you know, honor. Or maybe they would have. Was the you know was this feast supposed to be for C three PO? Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, because he says you're going to be cooked in a feast for my honor. Yeah. You know, even if they're still captured and to be food in some sort of feast or just regular food, they would have either had to let themselves be killed or Luke would have had to use the force to escape and pretty much either slaughter or or subdue them. Yeah, so presumably the Ewoks are cannibals in the sense that they eat sentient beings or sapient beings, right? And so they might not have had the, um, the banquet, but they probably had... The, they probably would have eaten them regardless. They probably just wouldn't have thrown such a big party. And so, yeah, their only way out at that point would be for Luke to pose as the god and use his magics to get them out. Right. Do you think that they would have uh, accepted a few little levitating things, or would he have had to just you know tap into the dark side a little bit and slaughter a bunch of them, or all of them? Well, I'm um, I'm conflicted now because I really like the Ewoks. It would be an interesting character turn to have to either actively manipulate a whole tribe of Ewoks or to cut your way out. He had his lightsaber at the time, so he could have easily overpowered the Ewoks. Although we do learn later in the movie that they are pretty hardy fighters. So, right. so worst case scenario, he kills them all, gets a taste of the dark side, and eventually turns himself in, but gets you know since he's already kind of made the made the move towards the dark side he decides to to kill his father and join palpatine and the shield generator never goes down uh because the ewoks don't help them everybody on the ground is slaughtered and the empire continues on for however long well let's back it up a second (laughs) lucas claims that the movies are a, a repeating series of motifs and they're not necessarily repeating in the sense that they're in the same order but like a lot of music, there's these motifs that just keep coming up and up and up. And I was just thinking during this little exercise of ours that Anakin does wipe out an entire village of primitives. He wipes out that sand person village in Attack of the Clones. Uh, he's not a 
captive there, but his mother is. And so the, dis- mm-hmm. the scenario you're describing seems to be a lot more like that to me. And during that scene where Anakin wipes out the Sand People, the music cue for that is Duel of the Fates, which is the music that plays when Darth Maul kills Qui-Gon. And so it's a light side, dark side battle. So that's definitely a big step that Anakin takes toward the dark side in that sense. But I could see that being perhaps an unintentional motif where they're once again trapped in a village of primitives, but it turns out differently because of the tone of the force at the time with the characters. And I realized I got the continuity mixed up, or I got the order mixed up because the original trilogy was before the prequel trilogy in filming order. And so if anything, the destruction of the Tuscan Raider village in episode two is a reference to the Ewok village, but doing everything Luke didn't do. Right. Yeah. Luke decided not to slaughter them, though he didn't have a, a real reason to. It's not like they were the ones who killed Owen and Baru Lars. He stops um, at the very end, not to become his father, you know, where Anakin goes full, full crazy and just kills every thing he can get his hands on. Right. I mean, but Anakin, we can get into this at some other discussion. Anakin at the end of Sith is a haggard war veteran. As much as Luke has been through by the end of Jedi, he didn't live through a war with billions of casualties. And so I think, I think Vader slash Anakin at the end of Sith would have done just about anything to end the war. And it's a shame the movie didn't accurately reflect his desperation there. And his yeah. sort of shell shockness. Yeah, Clone Wars and the um, the novelization did a really good job of making it seem just like a frantic period in his life, and that he's just he's just turned upside down every which way, you know, and he doesn't know what to do, and so he just keeps on making terrible mistake after terrible mistake. Well, that was an interesting exercise. There was a lot more there than I thought. Who else has a question for the what if machine, Scruffy Fry? All right, shall we get into the uh, the droids episode? Sure. So the primary purpose, or I like to think of the primary purpose of the podcast, is to review these cartoons. And the previous episode, we reviewed the 10-minute cartoon short from the holiday special that was in 1978. Mm. Um, we both enjoyed it thoroughly. <laughs> By enjoyed, you mean I hope I never have to see it again. Well, you... You are on record as uh, having watched it, so you never have to see it again. <laughs> Nobody I does. I yeah, hope that stands up in court. Um, so that was in 1978, uh, and then there was a big, pretty big gap before the cartoon Droids comes out, and the full name is Droids, The Adventures of R2-D2 and C-3PO, and it, the first episode airs in 1985 after... Um, Return of the Jedi. And so, as far as people are concerned, as far as Lucasfilm is concerned at this point, there's no more Star Wars coming. He teases a couple times that he's writing a sequel trilogy and a prequel trilogy, but we'll have to wait a long time for that to occur. 14 years, right? Yep, 14 years from 1985, before Episode 1 comes out, The Phantom Menace. But now we're in 1985, and Star Wars is coming back on TV as a Saturday morning cartoon. And they hire the same firm that made the holiday special, Nelvana, to produce these 
cartoons. And if you listened to the previous episode, you know that R2-D2 and C-3PO were in the holiday special cartoon. And the character designs, which we discussed briefly in that episode, carry forward to this series. Right. To their credit, they made them less, the people less crazy looking. Like Han Solo doesn't look like, uh, uh, what did we say, Keith Richards? Yeah, we said Mick Jagger. Or Mick Jagger. You know, he doesn't look like Haggard. It actually made me think, have you ever seen the Beatles cartoons where they're just, they're all caricatures of, you know, themselves? Yeah, I can see that in in these. um, I do want to say that Han Solo is not in this episode or in any of the droids episodes, but... But I know what you mean. Like, the human characters don't look like the way Han Solo was drawn. It's, it's for lack of a better term, it's a much more, quote-unquote, realistic depiction and less of a caricature depiction of cartoon of humans. Mm-hmm. Is that, would that be accurate? Yes, I agree. It's got that much more, a little bit more G.I. Joe kind of yes. feel, but it's still kind of got that crazy heavy metal wizards feel to it like considerably less than the holiday special but it's still there so i have a couple more facts about the about the droids series then we can get into the specific episode so these cartoons are currently considered non-canon even though they're produced by lucasfilm they don't make any sense in the timeline. But um, based on everything I could find, it's widely believed that these cartoons take place 15 years before the Battle of Yavin. There's only 13 episodes, and they're sort of broken up into three blocks, and we'll discuss that uh, in a future episode. But yeah, they take place roughly in between episode three and episode four, but they're non-canon, and so they don't reference anything that happens in episode three or episode four directly. The show debuted during something called the ABC Saturday Sneak Peek and Fun Fit Test with Tony Danza and Mary Lou Retton. And we want to come warm up with Tony Danza, Mary Lou Retton, R2-D2, and C-3PO as they get in shape for the Saturday Sneak Peek and Fun Fit Test. It's going to be a knockout. And it's all starting at 8, 7 central. must have blocked that out i remember watching it as a kid but so i did um, i did want to ask you that you've seen these meaning yeah 30 years ago you watched these 32 34 years ago yes i was old enough to be in their target demo so i've never seen these before i started watching them for this it's been so long i've it's almost like pretty much brand new for me so let's play let's play a quick game then okay I was curious, because I don't remember watching these as a kid, and I'm pretty sure I didn't. Uh, But I was also, I would have been five when these were out. And so that's prime Saturday morning cartoon watching. And so I was curious what else was on TV in 1985 as a Saturday morning cartoon. And so I made a list, and I think I'm just going to walk down the list, and you can tell me if you recognize anything. I'll I'll read the name of a cartoon, and you tell me if you watched it. All right. Mask. Which oh, yeah. stands for Mobile Armored Strike Command. So stupid, but yeah, I loved that show. I did too. I was, I started giggling the second I saw, when I started making this list and I saw it. I actually had toys from that show. Yeah, so did I. Uh, the Care Bears. I don't think I did. Or maybe I did, and I'm blocking, him at, blocking it out. I did. I had a three-year-old brother, or I had a little brother and uh, an older sister. And so I'm sure we watched Care Bears. Thundercats? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Robotech. I didn't get into Robotech till later. My cousin 
watched Robotech and he would tell me all about it. And so I, I learned about it through him. And so I had a ton of Robotech toys, but had never actually seen the show because it wasn't on where I lived. Uh, the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. I had to look this up. It was a Scooby-Doo miniseries, only 13 episodes. Yes, I remember it. Oh, you do remember it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't remember Robotech or the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo. The Berenstain Bears cartoon. No, I don't remember that. That yeah. doesn't surprise me. The Gummy Bears. Oh, yes. Yeah, that was they a bounce. Disney. That was a Disney jam. Ugh. I just remember they drank the gummy juice and then they bounced around and there was some wizard or... No, no, it was like some knight, like Duke, something or other, wanted the gummy bear juice. And it was just like Gar- Gargamel and the Smurfs, basically. Exactly. Galatar and the Golden Lamp. No, no idea. Yeah, I, I tried to look it up. It was a He-Man-esque show. Um, this is a gimme, G.I. Joe. Oh, yeah. Hulk Hogan's Rock and Roll oh. Wrestling. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yes, I remember watching this because there was the, the good wrestlers and there's the bad wrestlers. Hulk Hogan led the good wrestlers and Rowdy Roddy Piper led the bad wrestlers. Oh, my God. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. It was... Uh... <laughs> I'm sure it was terrible. I, when you're a kid, you watch everything. Yeah. But I, I still, from time to time, think of like the, the cartoons, or not the cartoons, but the commercials for the wrestling action figures. I have the theme stuck in my head, and it's been oh, 30 some years now, and I still have it stuck in my head. Sounds like hell. <laughs> it is. I don't know why I don't go to YouTube and just look it up, but then I don't think that doesn't actually work you know you get a song stuck in your head so you listen to it i still listen i still hear the song and i still think about the song it's not like it. i've somehow cleansed myself it'll probably be worse with that wrestling thing all right got a couple more here okay it's a punky brewster no yeah uh jace and the wheeled warriors that sounds familiar it's a french cartoon that aired in the u.s it appeared to be a vehicle to sell uh sell toys to kids oh like most of them yes uh, Jim? Oh yes, truly outrageous. Yep, Jim and the holograms, good. Did you know that that's still a thing? Like, there's like Jim cons? What? Yes. This was like a garbage I... show in the 80s that my, I would yeah, watch but... with my sister. Yeah, there was a, um, well, they, there was a live-action movie that came out, uh, and if you go to www.gemcon.org, you will find a website and a culture that is truly outrageous. I'll take your word for it. I'm not typing that into a search engine, even in incognito mode. It's kind of like the brony thing. Yeah, that, that's exactly where my mind was going right now. It's bronies. Okay, a couple more. Uh, She-Ra? Oh, yeah. I remember She-Ra. I remember She-Ra, too. I, was, I actually had something. Uh, I was going to say something about She-Ra in regards to this episode, so uh, I'm glad you mentioned that so I won't forget it. All right, write it down. Uh, superpowers team, Galactic Guardians. This, this apparently, that name is not very descriptive, but this was a Superman and Justice League uh, cartoon. Yeah, I, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, these all the superhero things run together in my mind from my from childhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Wuzzles. Oh, yeah. And Yogi's Treasure Hunt. I did not watch that. 
there was one that I skipped in the list because it only had a couple episodes, but I was very excited to learn about it because I've never heard of this thing. It's called Jim Henson's Little Muppet Monsters, and it looks fascinating, and I'm going to look that up later. But I figured neither of us had seen it because there were only like five episodes. Yeah, I don't. It's I don't know if it's one of those things that I um, heard about later in life and then I'm just transposing into right. so, my childhood. So things that were on the horizon are things like Transformers. They come out next in the next year. Uh, Muppet Babies. A bunch of other very iconic cartoons from the 80s are about to break. But to put this show in a little bit of context, they're up against Mask, Thundercats, She-Ra, the Care Bears, and... And that stuff, Hulk Hogan's yeah. wrestling and G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe is so, actually about ready to come off the air for a few years at yeah. this point. Because they have they take a break in the mid-80s and they come back in the late 80s. Yeah, so Star Wars needs to bring their A game. Yeah. Which which they don't, uh, at least in my mind. Okay, so um, shall we dive into the first episode? Yep, why don't you give the plot summary? Okay, so the first episode is called The White Witch, which is shown in the same font as She-Ra, Princess of Power. I saw that and I was like, holy cow. And then there's immediate shame that I knew and recognized that font being from She-Ra, Princess of Power. The episode starts with C-3PO narrating that their last master was a smuggler who got captured and arrested and they were jettisoned with a bunch of the smuggled cargo and they're on some desert planet which looks a lot like Tatooine. On the desert planets they come across two guys, Jord Desat and Thal Jobin. Uh, they're racers who show uh, interest in R2-D2 and of course like everybody ignores C-3PO. Now when we see these guys they're very Mad Max-esque. Thal's got like Half of his head shaved and a mohawk in the middle. And Jord just has a mohawk and a ponytail. The Thal is wearing what could only be described as a superhero kind of outfit. <laughs> where he looks like he's wearing underwear on the outside. <laughs> just their vehicles uh, have a very, you know, apocalyptic road warrior Mad Max kind of feel. I'm going to stand up for it. I know I know we're going to shit on this thing a lot, but I'm going to stand up for it initially and say that uh, the vehicles are pretty Star Wars-y. Like, they're basically dune buggies, as imagined through the lens of a Star Wars sensibility for a dune buggy. I suppose. Maybe I'm just so used to what we've seen now that seeing this is just kind of like... Oh, give me a break. Not to give the episode away at all, but these are prototypical pod racers. Right. And and I'll 100% agree with your assessment of the design of the characters themselves. They look like what an old person in the 80s would think a kid would think looks cool. They're like, everyone's got mohawks in this show. Right. It's like, mohawks, that's cool, right? Everyone should have a mohawk. They, they made me think of, I don't know the name of the character from the Road Warrior, but he's got the mohawk uh, and the feathers. And he's right. got the, um, the, the small crossbow uh, on his arm. Yes. It, and uh, their voices don't quite match their how they're drawn. But that's, you know, I'm not an animator and this is the 80s. 
So I'll give them some slack on that. They find uh, R2 and C3PO, and C3PO says they need new masters now, and they agreed to be their masters because they're really interested in R2-D2 because he's an astromech droid. They're eventually attacked by security droids when they cross over into the quote-unquote forbidden zone, and they're helped by some mysterious girl who has some sort of like high-energy beam weapon, kind of like a uh, bazooka. It turns out... These droids that attacked them are defending uh, a secret base of a gangster named uh, Tig Fromm. Tig is setting up for a major takeover of other gangsters. And so he's got this secret base where they're creating a bunch of weapons. And he doesn't want anybody to know what he's doing. So he decides to go out and capture the racers. I'm not sure why he just doesn't try to kill them, but he decides to capture them. So he sends some droids, and the, the droids capture Jord. Uh, the other droids, C-3PO, R2-D2, and Thal are joined with uh, Kea Mal, who, who is the uh, girl who helped them in the desert. And she, once again, this is, like you said, some old person thinking what kids would think is cool. She basically looks like she's got a skunk on her head. Yeah. I don't understand what everything about the character it seems fine except for that is just I just can't get over the skunk on her head. Her hairdo is just a regular Regular hair, a little, little bit long, but instead she's got like two buns on the top that are white. That makes her kind of look like Pepe Le Pew. Yeah, it's it's the strangest character design out of all of them, in my opinion, because she's got two colored hair, and it sort of looks like if you drew a, a woman with brown hair and then put like a gray heart in the middle of her forehead and just pushed it all the way back. It's, it's, right. it's a very strange design, and it makes no sense for the character. She's the most Star Wars feeling thing about this episode because she's the competent white brunette female who saves the day, <laughs> which is one of the biggest tropes in all of Star Wars with Leia right. and Rey and Jyn Erso, and they're all the same woman. And apparently even the Han Solo woman is a white brunette woman, so good for them. So they're able to fend off the droids, and then they decide to go rescue Jord from Tig Fromm's quote-unquote secret headquarters. Now, the funny thing is, is that I don't know why they just don't kill Jord. And Tig pretty much spills the beans to Jord while his his henchman looks on, his henchman being um, someone who works with for his father, who's a big-time crime boss. And it's just one of those things where you see they're, they're, they're trying to maybe set something up for later episodes, but it's just like, why are you talking? Just kill him. <laughs> don't You don't have to tell anybody. Yeah, there's a couple interesting lines in their exchange because I, once again, completely agree with you that I thought it would be much more logical from his character goal point of view to keep the base completely secret, just kill the guy. Just, yeah. just kill him and get rid of him because then your problems are solved. And then he says they're transferring him to his father's facility on a new, which uh, does get called back in a future episode. Spoiler alert. Uh, well, he also mentions other crime gangs, and one of them is Jabba. So, which this led me to believe that they're on Tatooine. I guess I am wrong about. Yeah, you so were wrong two, about that. So there's, so there's two things. You know, they're on a desert planet, and Jabba's there. But apparently they're not on Tatooine. So they rescue they rescue Jord and there's pretty much it's pretty there's it's a very similar to episode four where C three PO has to uh, rescue the <clears throat> the main heroes. He gets on a comm, some magic happens and some door opens. Just like 
in uh, the original Star Wars, he's able to get R2-D2 to shut down all the uh, the garbage mashers. You know, it's kind of a sore spot with me. Like, as, as one of my favorite comedians, Dana Gould, says, you can't forget you're a droid. How does C-3PO forget? But he seems a lot more competent in the cartoon, and he's a lot more mobile. Yeah, he, he flat out runs in this episode, sprints. Oh, and then there's the point. Somehow Thal has a lightsaber from soul, some old man he did work for, which implied Obi-Wan Kenobi. But they're not on Tatooine. They just heavily imply they are. And then, through some silly circumstances, they're able to rescue Jord and somehow destroy Tig's operation. They all end up leaving the planet with uh, Kia, whose ship they fix, and they're going to go to the uh, races. The episode is named The White Witch after this uh, racer that they've been working on. It's not named after Stevie Nicks, and it's not about the Narnia character. It might be a reference to Narnia, but... But yeah, it's the titular. Probably. The titular is uh, the 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 ship itself, the little speeder they're building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's got a slot for R two D two. That's why they were so interested in him. And so now they're off to have adventures and go racing on different planets with Kia. And that's the end of the episode. All right. So, did you like it? <laughs> um, first viewing, I was like, oh my god, this is such a pile of shit. I think the first viewing you sent me a string of obscenities in a text message field. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably. It does not hold up. You know, I had no illusions that, you know, that it was going to be some masterpiece coming from uh, the time period that it came from. But I was really blown away as how awful it was. I mean, there are some interesting Star Wars aspects, you know, some callbacks, you know, but it seems kind of clumsy clumsily done and kind of heavy-handed and but it just doesn't quite feel like star wars it just feels like star wars if you had like a dream about star wars where there's the characters and there's a lot of things about star wars in it but it's just wacky and bizarre so i I also to say i tolerated it but i did not really enjoy it and it makes me appreciate the clone wars and rebels all that much more i really like your description that it's it feels like a dream about Star Wars rather than Star Wars. I think from a production point of view, it this doesn't hold up at all. Partially the game where I read the cartoons that were playing at the same time was sort of to temper our expectations as to the production value of the cartoon at the time. Maybe it's the YouTube versions that, I, I'm, that we're watching for this, but the sound doesn't quite match up with their mouths and the appearance and disappearance of the ships and but only sometimes it doesn't make sense from like a plot point of view it's too complicated for a little kid but it's not complicated enough for anybody who's more sophisticated than a little kid and the plot doesn't pay off in any way it does feel like star wars in the sense that it's r2d2 and c3po and you're on a desert planet and they throw on a lightsaber and they say the word jabba but it really doesn't feel like Star Wars in the same way that watching Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead doesn't feel like you're watching Hamlet. Yeah. Right? You're watching Star Wars from a, the point of view of two characters that have nothing to do and don't meet interesting people or do interesting things. Right. It feels like a uh, knockoff yes. of Star Wars. Yes. It feels like some cheap generic version of Star Wars. Yeah. And I've read a lot about, I've done as much research as I can 
on these shows and the production of these shows. When possible, I reach out to people who were actually involved in the production of these shows, and no one who's done anything on droids has answered an email of mine yet. But <laughs> hopefully soon. We have several weeks before we're done with droids. But one thing I did read was that ABC heavily edited this show. Lucasfilm, this was their first attempt at a Saturday morning cartoon geared toward children, and standards and practices had a ridiculous list of requirements for them. And so they weren't allowed to show realistic-looking weapons or fires or, or anything that would cause any bad influence for children at the time. That, that makes a lot of sense, given what we see, you know, just generic explosions, blaster fire that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so everything had to be severely dumbed down. One of the production designers has a blog that hasn't been updated in 12 years who is talking about writing on this show, doing designs for this show, and how many times they had to go back and redesign things based on notes from ABC. Oh. And, and how it kept getting further and further away from the original designs. And some of the original designs are really good, I have to say, because he posts some of the original designs on his website, and they look very Star Wars-y. Maybe having a show starring R2-D2 and C-3PO wasn't the best choice for characters, although it makes sense from an in-universe point of view because they're the ageless, timeless characters, right? As far as we know, at this point, they could be hundreds of years old. Mm -hmm. And so you could literally drop them anywhere. But you're marketing this as a Star Wars cartoon to a bunch of people who just got off of watching Han Solo and Luke Skywalker destroy the Death Star again with Lando and Leia. Those characters aren't in this. You're, you'd give the audience no clue as to what time period you're in. There's mm -hmm. there's no indication that it's before the trilogy that you just watched. All of that's implied. And these are little kids who are going to say, like, well, when does Han Solo show up? Right? And he, <laughs> and he never does. Yeah, because they can't afford Han Solo. Right. And so, it, to me, it's just, it's sort of a waste. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. It just doesn't feel like enough. Right. It, it feels, it has that, oh, kids are dumb, they'll accept anything kind of vibe to it. And that might they'll... be ABC that did that. Right. It might not be Lucasfilm that did that at all. And that's what's really upsetting to me, is that they're, it's sort of like when I, I have a friend at work who's big into Star Wars too, and he asked me if I would want to read the, uh, supposed drafts of the sequel trilogy that Lucas wrote. Yes, I want to read them. I might not want to see them as movies, but who wouldn't <laughs> want to read that? Right? And maybe maybe that's what's happened here. It's like somebody took their vision and, and tried to force it into a format that it didn't work in. True. So, are you going to sit and read um, Lucas's dialogue about sand or how much uh, a character is in love with another character? I don't think you understand how much I read about about these people <laughs> when you're not around oh i see i'm building quite the library of behind the scenes stuff and this these production designs for this show are pretty cool i'll send you a link later so you can look at them all right i did want to bring up one thing that is going to be a reoccurring piece while we walk walk our way through droids especially mm -hmm. is i think that these are lucas's rough draft for the prequels like, he references multiple locations, ships, and aliens that only exist in the prequels. And so when they're on the ship leaving the planet, they're headed to the Boonta races. I caught that. And so in episode one, the race that Anakin races in with Sebulba is the Boonta Eve classic. It's the same spelling. It's the same. It's, it's a very plain 
on your face reference. Obviously, the reference is episode one referencing this, mm -hmm. but it's just his big net notebook of names, names and places that he constantly used to write in. He used Bunta for the name of a race twice, right? It's the same race, as far mm -hmm. as I'm concerned. Did you catch uh, at the beginning that uh, there was A-wings flying by the, the planet? Yep, A-wings are a big, big thing in droids. Except they used, um, they used TIE Fighter sound effects. Oh, did they? It, yeah. It seems like they just recycled a bunch of uh, sound effects from the uh, original movies, which I guess I would not be surprised by at all. Why? Why make all new beeps for R2? You know, you can just use uh, current beeps and, you know, current ship sounds. And then you've got Anthony Daniels, who's the only speaking character from the uh, original movies. Yeah, so speaking of people from the original movies, though, um, Ben Burt is involved in the production of this show. And so it's a little surprising that they would make sound errors, like to use a, a TIE fighter sound for an A-wing. Very interesting. Do you have anything else you'd like to talk about with this one? Because I'm, I'm sort of running out of notes. Uh, no, I think we have covered everything except for there was one line that I don't know why it bothered me, but it bothered me. At the very end, when the heroes es escape from Tig Fromm and pretty much leave his base in ruins, his henchman is going to be telling his dad about what happened. There's going to be major uh, underworld fallout. Tig says, well, the swamps of Borga are almost habitable this time of year in reference to a place to hide out. And I was never super great with physics and astronomy, but what does it matter what time of year? It could be winter in an, on, another, you know, on a planet in another solar system. It just some <laughs> weird thing, you know. Like, how, how does how does he know the seasons of a you know some planet? That's not where he is. Like this time of year, you know, it's like it could be their winter, it could be their summer, it could be something completely different, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of crap like that in this these episodes where it's obviously incredibly dumbed down for children, or they're just not trying very hard. Yeah, and some of it's Star Wars science that you just kind of got to take with a grain of salt. Right. You want to uh, go over what the uh, audience can look forward to for the next episode of Droids? In our next episode, we're going to cover the second episode of Droids, which is entitled Escape into Terror, where they continue to fight Tig Fromm and his gang for control of a super weapon called the Trigon. Sounds delightful. Yes, we will get through that. There's some interesting consequences because they have an attempt at continuity that is a greater effort than other cartoons at the time. Um, and I really appreciate that. But we can talk about that later. All right, sounds like a blast. Until next time. Thank you for downloading and listening to this episode. We would also like to thank Jordan White for the use of his cover of Yub Nub as our intro and outro music. Please refer to the show notes for photos, clips, and links from this episode. Side effects from listening to Yubcast may include dizziness, dry mouth, a sense of confusion, and decreased sex drive. Serious side effects may include speaking in Ewok, speculating the origins of prequel characters, and wondering why two grown men discuss children's cartoons on the internet. For a complete list of side effects or to complain about the show, 
Please visit us on Twitter at Yubcast or drop us an email at noochvaderproductions at gmail.com. Thanks again. We will see you again next week with a new episode. Yubcast is not affiliated with Lucasfilm or the Walt Disney Company. Star Wars, its characters, and creations are the property of Lucasfilm and its parent company, the Walt Disney Company. Yubcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only.